guys. Um, I, uh, I'm really sick. I've got like, I've got man flu, uh, which some of you girls don't know how bad this is. It's like, it's like the worst thing you could possibly ever have. It's like really bad, really sick. Um, as we were worshipping, I was reminded of uh, one of the teachings that I've, I've done a number of times and uh, I probably will do again. And I'm reminded of the prayer that I have for you all um, for 2018. Um, I, I do this teaching where I talk about the circle, the line, and the stake. And when I talk about the circle, I talk about the fact that um, you, you get down on your knees, you draw a chalk circle around yourself, and uh, you ask God to restore everything within that chalk circle, revive everything within that chalk circle before you start looking at everybody else's stuff. In other words, take responsibility. I, my prayer in 2018 is that you and I would take responsibility for the stuff that we're supposed to take responsibility for. That we'd stop looking at everybody else and every other thing and say, there's some stuff I've got to go after in 2018. I could blame other people, but I'm going to go after that stuff. And then the, 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 the draw a line stuff is about saying, you know, draw a line in the sand and look back at your life and go, there's some things that I got hurt by. There's some people that I should have been... They should ask, their, ask for forgiveness. And there's some other things, circumstances of life that have just been really difficult. And I need to go back and deal with some of that stuff. I need to get someone to pray with me. I need to get someone to talk with me. I, the, the, I, if I don't deal with that stuff, I can carry it in the rest of my life and it will hurt me. And, and, and I won't. So my prayer in 2018 is that you deal with your stuff. You don't have to carry those scars around. You can know healing and restoration and forgiveness. And you can know, you know, it, being, even being part of a church is hard, isn't it, at times? It's, it's brilliant. I love being part of this church. And I, I love some of the things that we're going after and, 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 um, and trying to go after. You know, we don't often talk about all the things that was going on. But it's brilliant. The counseling service is amazing. And the CAP service is amazing. And, you know, helping people who are in debt get out of debt. You know, all the stuff that goes on. The church plants are incredible. There's there's some great stuff going on. But in the middle of that, there's just people. And there, there's just church will be really easy without people. <laughs> but church is the people, and and people hurt people, and people misunderstand people, and you know, do, go go deal with go deal with your stuff. Otherwise, we'll we'll all walk with limps. <laughs> And then the final thing is to plant a stake, by which I mean decide, work out with God as much as it's possible for you what God's got you for. And, and, and work out what your yes is and then defend it with a thousand no's. Say, this is, this is the thing. This is who I am. This is what, you know, don't, don't live another moment of your life doing all the stuff that you know you're not really cut out for. You don't want to do, but you've, someone's got a hold of you and said you need to do this stuff and run with your dreams. Run with your dreams. And so um, uh, we're starting a series that we've called Detox. Basically because I'm on a detox. I mean, you know, I'm on a detox. I've always started. I need to do it better, but I've already started. I'm on a detox because I ate some stuff I shouldn't have eaten <laughs> and drunk some stuff I shouldn't have drunk. And, and uh, you know, I didn't have a particularly healthy. So I'm on a detox. But I'm not just on a physical detox. I'm on a, a mental detox and an emotional detox. The, the word detox is a very simple word. D means the removal of. Tox is toxin. So detox means the removal of poison. 
And the reason that's really important is because we live in a poisonous world, don't we? We live in a world that is, is, is poisonous to the human being. You know, not just, for, you know, not just the stuff that you put into your body, which you probably shouldn't put into your body, or the stuff you wash yourself with that you probably shouldn't wash yourself with and all that stuff, although that's probably true, and we'll deal with some of that later. But, but, but the messages our world gives out will damage your heart, won't it? How many of you have over, over 2017 have had your... You mean, we should be more mature than this, I guess, but we've had our hearts damaged by things that have been said about us or over us. How many of you have been damaged by social media? Social media is, I mean, I think social media is brilliant and it's awful. It's also awful. Because what it does is it encourages you to compare yourself with other people. And the worst part of it is it encourages you to compare your worst stuff with other people's best stuff. So, you know, you can wake up in the morning and t- put Twitter and Instagram on and, and then think you, you, your life sucks compared with everyone else's life. And it'll damage your heart. It'll damage, it'll damage your life. And it damage, you know, the detox that goes on in our head, the way that the, the philosophies of this world seem reasonable to us but are actually unreasonable according to the kingdom of God. And unless we're careful, our mind and our heart and our soul and our bodies get full of all this stuff. And so we're going to do a detox over the next four weeks. And I want to start at the very beginning with Jesus. Because I think Jesus would encourage a detox for us. He would encourage us to feel differently and think differently and act differently. And I want to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you've hung around the Bible at all, if you've hung around church, you'll know this passage of Scripture. You probably had it preached to you. You probably read it a number of times. But, um, but it, it's fundamentally important as we start a new year that we understand the principle behind it. So turn with me in your Bibles if you have one. If you don't have one, don't worry because it will come up on the biggest screen in Christendom over there. If you're not facing that way, you might be able to get a slightly smaller screen there or somewhere else. Um, To Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to study uh, together um, and uh, in in this passage of Scripture. And what I want you to understand is this, that Jesus is doing an appraisal. And when Jesus does an appraisal, how many of you have ever had an appraisal done? How many of you are never going to put your hand up, whatever I say today? If you, if you, I mean, honestly, it's very difficult to get through this, this life without some kind of appraisal being done, even if it's informal by your daughters. Um, but um, there'll, there'll be an appraisal that you've had in, in your life. And, and sometimes those appraisals are helpful, sometimes they're not helpful. Um, uh, but um, and here, this appraisal is, of course, perfect because it's Jesus' appraisal. And Jesus is appraising a church. And Jesus is doing this in, in the book of Revelation. There are seven churches. They're like the seven key churches um, in, of, of the age. And Jesus, like, pro- it gets progressively worse for the churches. Have you noticed that? It starts off with a church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And it's kind of okay. You know? Doing all right? And then we get to Laodicea and it's pretty brutal. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to deal with a brutal one today. And we're going to take a look at what that looks like for us. Um, and we're going to listen to the, um, to the person of Jesus in all this. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither 
cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I, I love this by the way, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now this is, this is a passage of scripture which is incredibly relevant to us because you know, we live in a really difficult world right now. I mean, we talk about that quite a lot, but actually as we, as we reach 2018, and we, I don't think anyone in this room has any idea how we're going to end 2018. Honestly, if we were to make some guesses as to who would be ruling what country, what nations, who would have attacked whom, what people group would have moved where, where the next humanitarian disaster will have occurred, what political crisis will be um, our experience, what financial crisis will be our experience, I don't think any of us know. But what we can know is we're not sure. We're not sure. It was exactly the same for the people of, of God back then, perhaps even worse. Domitian was the emperor in AD 95, and in, during this time, this, this letter was written, and Domitian was like the most evil of all the emperors of Rome. He, like, made a sport of killing and abusing and persecuting Christians. So if you wanted to follow Jesus back in AD 95, it wasn't sing a song, come down the front, I've decided to follow Jesus and it'll all be nice for me. It was basically, I am signing up for being abused, overlooked, and probably killed for my faith. And it's to this group of people who have to be pretty serious about their faith, don't they, if you're in that kind of environment. It's to this group of people that Jesus gives this, this appraisal that seems pretty harsh. He says, I know, I know you're up for me, by the way, because you're following me in this environment, but I'm, I'm giving you this loving discipline because you're missing out on what it really feels like, what it means, and what it can be like to be in a relationship with me. Jesus says, the, the thing is, I'm the thing. The thing is, I'm the thing. I'm not the thing that helps you do the thing. I'm the thing. I'm, I'm not, forget for a moment your programs and your plans and your agendas and your strategies. It's about me. It's about me. That's what it's about. That's what we're going after. It, it is, it's about me. We used to, um, back in the day, he says, feeling very old, we used to call this church Jesus at the heart, didn't we? And to be honest, it was a bit embarrassing at times. Because I'd have to give people who had nothing to do with church, nothing to do with Jesus, my email address. Oh, it's Carl at Jesus at the heart. How do you spell that? 
What does that mean? What is that Jesus at the heart thing? That's a bit odd. It sounds a bit like a cult. What is, what is the Jesus at the heart thing? You know, actually the story of it was we got a branding um, agency in to help us with, um, with, with the name. And uh, it was really helpful and interesting exercise. But some of the names they came up with were utterly ridiculous. We were, at one stage we were toying with being called Breathe, Breathe Church. Uh, I think, or Dust Church or something. There was a whole bunch of different names they gave us to, to provoke us and inspire us. And at the end of the day, we decided that although it wasn't cool, we wanted to be called Jesus at the heart because we wanted it to be like what it was in the tin. That's who we wanted to be. And Jesus says, the tendency is that you will shift away from the central thing. That's the tendency. I don't want you as a church to become the phenomenon following the phenomenon following the phenomenon that used to be Jesus. I don't want you to be doing the stuff that you remember you used to do the stuff because it was Jesus and now you just, you just do the stuff. Listen, Father God has one ambition for you in 2018. One ambition. Here it is. Him. Everything else flows from that. He has one ambition for me in 2018, him, relationship with him. Now, of course, we know you can't do that and you can't have that without one another. We know that. We know that you can't have that and do that without moving out, living beyond yourself. We, we, we know all that. But his ambition is him, to win your heart, to mend your heart, to captivate your heart so that your heart begins to beat in time with his heart, like synchronicity with his heart. You feel the things that he feels. You think the things that he thinks. You, you begin to look like him. Give me your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Here's the appraisal. Give me your heart. And then he says, you can trust me. You can trust me with your heart, by the way. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the Amen. And we know the word amen because we say it at the end of our prayers. But effectively, he's saying, I am the full stop. I'm the one who sees things through. I'm the finisher. I started all things. I'm going to finish all things. I'm the alphabet of God. I'm the A to Z. I will complete what I said I will do. What I promised I'm going to bring about. The salvation I've started in you, I'm going to complete in you. If I promise things to you, I'm going to bring them about. Not just promise things in the word, but promise the things I've whispered to you in the quiet places. I'm going to bring those about. I'm a faithful God. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. John, John says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who's at the Father's side has made him known. We just read that reading at, at Christmas time. You find it in John chapter 1. In other words, John is saying, Jesus is God. And if you want to know what God is like, check out Jesus. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. If you, want to, if you look at Jesus, you see his compassion and his grace and his mercy and his joy and his truth and his life. And, and that's what I am, the witness. And then Jesus says, I'm the ruler of God's creation. I'm the head of everything that God created. I'm in charge. I have all power. That's a really cool thing, isn't it? In a world where everything seems out of control, does, doesn't it? Or you just don't know what's going to happen. Jesus, I'm actually still in control. There are some technical theological constructs that you need to understand to understand fully why and how I'm in control, but I am in control. There's nothing that happens in this world that, that 
I miss. I'm in control. I still sit on the throne. I'm still over and above all rulers and authorities, all universities, all new ideas, all scientific discoveries, all pain, all difficulty. I'm still, I'm still in control of those things. I am the amen. And then he says, I know the things you do. I know the things you do. I know you. This is a proper appraisal. I know your stuff. In other words, he says, you can fool most of the people most of the time, but you can fool the amen none of the time. Because he knows you, and he sees in you, and he understands you. And he doesn't see in you and appraise you just to be critical of you. He sees in you because he loves you. He's for you. And then Jesus says this thing that's so shocking that if you didn't kind of hear a preacher say it and you didn't read it in the Bible, you believe it wasn't true, that he wouldn't say that because it's so inconsistent with what you think his character is. He says to this church in a place called Laodicea, he says, and you make me sick. I love you and you make me sick. I mean, actually, that's technically exactly what he says. I want to spew you out of my mouth, he says. You, you make me sick. He says, you're not red hot like you perhaps used to be. You're not ice cold, which will be at least refreshing. I'm not at the heart anymore. It's not real. And because it's not, because it's not real, it just makes me kind of nauseous about the whole thing. Now, what you understand, need to understand is this Laodicea had a water problem. The, the, the problem was they had no water. So um, they had to pipe water, and because they were smart engineers, they managed to pipe the water from a place called Heropolis. Heropolis was six miles up the hill, and it really was up the hill. It was in the hills. And Heropolis had a spring, a hot water spring, which was pretty good. And, and apparently it was 95 degrees, um, and it was, it was hot water. And they, they made this engineering system so they had like an underground aqueduct and they managed to get the water piped from Heropolis to Laodicea. Now what you also need to understand is that beyond Laodicea is a place called Colossae. You know about Colossae because you read it in the New Testament. In Colossae, the water, that the, the source was Heropolis is suddenly ice cold because it's gone a huge, huge distance down, down the mountain. It's cold. But Laodicea is lukewarm. And because of the high mineral content of the water... This lukewarm water, if it was allowed to stand for any length of time, became full of bacteria. And so if you drank that water at the wrong time in the wrong way, you just got diarrhea and vomiting. You were, you were sick. So Jesus is speaking into a context they fully understand what it means to be lukewarm. And they fully understand what it means for that lukewarmness to make you violently sick. Not refreshing, ice cold. Not warming, hot but lukewarm and stagnant. And I don't know, and we don't know because we're not actually told in the Scriptures, but I, I, we're given re reason to suspect. The problem was they'd gotten to the point in Laodicea, these Christians, because Jesus is writing to Christians, they'd gotten to the point when they were living very comfortably and they'd forgotten the reckless abandonment of the love of God. They'd gotten to the point when they were living rationally according to their resources and their finances and their competences and their sufficiencies. And they'd lost the idea of being recklessly abandoned to the love of God. 
And verse 17 onwards in your scriptures, they started to trust their money, their ability, and their competencies more than Jesus. And he kind of slipped out of the center. Now, we could, we could speculate and I could get all weird on you and say this, this is this and this is that and this is exactly what's going on. I, I don't know. I've absolutely no idea how that fully translates to our situations and to your situation because I don't know your situation. But I do know this. It's really easy for people to start out really passionate about Jesus and for Jesus to be at the heart. It's really easy for the ambition and motive of your life to be Jesus when you first get saved and you first realize how wonderful Jesus is. It's really easy when you first logically work out that there is nothing that you can do in this world to really bring you life and fulfillment and security and hope and a future without Jesus. And it's really easy over time for that to slip and change. It's really easy for it to become about your resources and your competences. It's really easy for it all to get lost, all that passion to get lost in mortgage and career and kids and pace of life. And, and so Jesus, who was at the center, becomes at the periphery. It's really easy for circumstances to come in and for you to get sick or, or, or for, for, for relationships to get messy and for, for somehow in the middle of it, Jesus to drift to the edge. I see it and I see it in me. What we know from the passage in Laodicea is that other stuff had got in the way. There's a whole bunch of insider references that we haven't got lots of time for, but verse 18 onwards. Laodicea was famous for its garment industry. And the reason they were famous for their garment industry is they happened to have black sheep, apparently. And the black sheep, happened, they happened to be able to work out a way of extracting the dye from the black sheep's wool. And so they could dye linen, they could dye clothes. And so they were the first people to have this kind of upmarket mail order fashion industry. People would come from all over the empire, the rich people, to get the black dyed clothes because it was, and Laodicea was known for that. And Jesus says, you have great clothes, but you're naked. It looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's just, it's naked. Superficial stuff. And, and Laodicea was also famous for, uh, for an eye ointment that they had developed from a powder which, you, which was found in the Phrygia region, which was the region where Laodicea was. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're clever technologically and you're clever scientifically, but uh, you're spiritually blind. So there's a whole bunch of things that you can see that other people can't see, but actually the things that are important to see, you don't see. Because Jesus is not the heart. And, Jesus, and, then, and Laodicea is also known for its banking industry. And Jesus says quite cuttingly, you are rich materially and poor spiritually. And he's saying, look, you have prestige and you have resources, you have reputation and you have comfort. And all of that stuff is making you sick. And all that stuff is making you sick. And I guess the answer that you, you the only answer you're coming up with to your sickness is to press more and more into the things that are actually making you sick. You need to detox from these things. Why didn't you start looking to me? Verse 19, Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you, not because I hate you. I'm not a bully boy. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to pay you back, but I'm trying to bring you back. Because the thing is you. 
and me and me and you. And that's the thing. That's what I'm going on. I didn't come and walk this earth. You celebrated at Christmas time so that you might respect me. That's not what I came for. I didn't die on a cross so that you might sing songs about me or be on a committee for me or bring your kids up in a good way around me, but so that you might be restored to a relationship with me, which is the thing. It's everything. He's after your heart. That's what he's after. His ambition for you is him. The story we find ourselves in is a love story. That's why we pray and fast. We don't pray and fast because we think somehow during this week we're going to be able to convince God to change his mind about some stuff. That's not why we're praying and fasting. We're not praying and fasting because I've got a really good idea and you might have a really good idea. And if we pray long enough at the right times and the right ways and, and give up enough food, somehow God might capitulate and, and do the thing that we're asking him to do. No, we, we don't pray so we can change God's mind. We pray so that he might change our hearts. So that we might grow in our knowledge and understanding of, of not just who he is, but what he's wanting to do. And therefore, we might move in step with, with him. Jesus says, I am the thing. Listen, listen, as you read the Bible this year, and I hope that you do, not because it's a great discipline, but because, because God's, got, God's got wisdom for us. He's got things he wants to say into every arena of our lives. As you read the Bible this year, what you'll discover is that, is that cover to cover, what God desires with you and for you is a relationship with him that is not about respect, but about intimacy. That's what it's about. And yet, again and again and again, what I discover is that I want to treat him respectfully. And Jesus says, verse 20, to these guys in Laodicea, these Christians, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And when I was growing up, this, this passage of scripture was always used in a evangelistic meetings with youth. It was, wasn't it? I mean, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and Jesus is standing at the door of your life, and he's knocking on the door of your life, and the handle is on the inside. You ever heard that? You have to decide to open the handle and opening the door in, and, and there's nothing wrong with preaching that, but it's actually not actually biblically helpful. Because Jesus is not speaking to a bunch of people who aren't yet convinced. He's speaking to a bunch of Christians. And he's knocking on the door saying, hey, you can know about me and not know me. You can do all the right things and pay your tithe and, and come to church and, and serve in church and not know me. And you might have known me and now you don't know me. Jesus, what are you doing outside? What are you doing outside? Why are you knocking? And here we understand something so crucial. We're going to pause and, and, and land the plane here. But we're going to, we understand something so crucial and so fundamental. God, God, the creator of the universe, with all the ability in the universe to do anything he wants to do, has decided there is one thing that he cannot do. And it's the one thing he desires the most. There's one thing he's decided he cannot do and it's the one thing that he desires the most. I cannot make you love me. Because if I made you love me, it wouldn't be love anymore. I can't make you love me. I can threaten you. I can take things away from you. But I can't make you 
love me. And it's what he wants. And what have we done and what do we all do at different times and in different ways? We make it religion instead. Because love and intimacy is so up close and personal. It's so demanding of us. It's so exposing for us. It's so all in that we make it religion and God becomes, if we're not careful, a formula. We, we know how to do things. We do wrong things. We ask for forgiveness. God erases our sin. We share our faith because someone once told us how to share our faith and then we perhaps stop sharing our faith because it's a bit embarrassing. And we're respectful. And before you know it, although you never meant it and you don't mean it and I don't mean it, but what happens is that, is that Jesus who was at the center becomes at the periphery. And then we can even do church without Jesus. It sucks, but you can do it. And we can say that we have a vision from Jesus, but basically what we're saying is we've got a good idea that we're asking Jesus to rubber stamp. And then we'll say it's a Jesus idea. And eventually it becomes a religion. And you know what happens to religious people? Well, it becomes eventually self-centered and God then has to do things for me and it's about me and my health and my wealth and my kids and my church and God does my bidding and it's a formula and then we lose our faith because we blame God because God didn't do the thing that we wanted him to do and our kids didn't work out the way we wanted it to work out and our finances aren't working and it's God's fault and then we become very judgmental it always happens that way let me tell you why. It's because you see people doing things that you've decided based upon your religious relationship with God that they shouldn't do and God won't like. <laughs> and you end up not liking those things and you end up not liking them. And ostensibly it's because you don't think they're behaving properly but deep down inside it's because you're actually secretly jealous of what they're doing because they seem to be having much more life than you. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. In 2018, he has one ambition. He just wants your heart. And when he has your heart, then he wants to clothe you. And he wants to clothe me. And what, he want, what he's going to clothe us with are his clothes of compassion and kindness and gentleness mercy and his kind of truth and when he has your heart then he wants to open your eyes and when he opens your eyes you see the world in a different way you see the world the way he sees the world which is fundamentally different from the way in which with un-Jesus eyes you see the world and when he has your heart he wants to make you rich he wants to make you rich. Rich in the way that he's rich. Rich towards God and rich towards people. Rich with generosity and compassion. And that's where detox starts. It doesn't start with you with a good idea not to drink alcohol and not to eat cake. <laughs> it doesn't start with you having a limit on how much screens that you watch or don't watch. We'll talk about all that stuff. 
It doesn't start with you filtering out the philosophies of this world that are very damaging to our hearts and minds. It doesn't start with a social media ban or whatever it is. It does, those things might be important things to do. It, doesn't, it starts with you seeking the heart of Jesus. It starts with me seeking the heart of Jesus because he is perfect wisdom, perfect kindness, perfect love, and perfect health. So 2018, trace a circle. Trace a circle. You're the project. There are no excuses. There are loads of reasons, but there are no excuses. And draw a line and deal with some stuff. There will be no regrets. There will be scars, but they will become trophies. And 2018, plant a stake. Go after your dreams. There will be no distractions. There'll be options, but no distractions. And let's detox together. Let me pray for us. Father, let's pray for one another. Jesus, we come to you as the Amen. Full stop. Come to you with our circumstances. Come to you in our brokenness. come to you with our attitudes that aren't always aligned with your heart our motives which are never as pure as they might be our desires which sometimes embarrass us we come to you with our sickness our shame our opportunities and our joys We ask you to come close. Jesus, would you be the center? Would you be the North Star? Would you be our guide? Would you be the truth? Jesus, would you help us return to our first love? We ask this in your precious name. Amen.